your Bibles with me to Psalm 23, and uh, we've been going through this. I thought this was going to be a, a series of just three Sundays, but it's actually this is Sunday number five, I think, or four, and we're going to just keep going. So no rush, right? I mean, we have all of eternity to study the Bible. So Psalm 23, uh, verses one through three, we talked about um, these, uh, the first verse last Sunday, we talked about the Lord is our satisfaction, how the Lord is filling us and satisfying us. And we talked about what it meant to be in want and lack. And verses two and three, so chapter, chapter 23, verse one, speaks about plenty. That when we have a shepherd, we have plenty. We have, we're plenteous spiritually. And if you didn't hear that message, or maybe you don't understand that principle, I invite you to go to our YouTube channel, take a look at the sermon there, it's up every Sunday. Verse two talks about peace that we have with our shepherd. Wednesday night, we're back here uh, in the corner. It's one of my favorite times of the week. And we just gathered together and we talked about the peace of God that passes understanding. The peace of God that guards our heart. And many times we hear this principle about guarding our heart. And sometimes we can be maybe frustrated. I can't seem to guard my heart. And in truth and in reality, the New Testament tells us that God's peace is what guards our heart. And again, uh, listen to that if you get a chance. The third thing in, in these three verses that we are seeing is, is that he is our renewal, that he renews us. And I wanna talk about that this morning. So Lord, just bless this message in Jesus' name, amen. Verse two, he makes us to lie down. You know, let's look at context for a second in Psalm 23. The 23rd Psalm was written by David during a very difficult time in his life. Many of his friends, including David's counselor, Ahithophel, had proven themselves unfaithful. And his son, Absalom, who he had truly, truly loved, he loved him so much, had stolen the hearts of the people with a view and an agenda to supplant his father as a king. Though dearly beloved by David, Absalom would commit patricide to obtain power and wealth. I don't think there's anything more painful as a parent for a parent to go through this. To avoid this fate, David fled from Jerusalem into the wilderness. In his flight, David had no army to protect him. He had no extra provisions for clothing, food, or water. This is a king, imagine that. King of a nation, king of Israel. No army, no food, no clothing, no water. And for the moment, it seemed as if David had lost everything. His own crown, his palace, his wealth, his friends, and his power to rule. And we could picture in our mind as David made his way over the brick Kidron, up the Mount of Olives into the wilderness of Judah, when David had seemed to have lost it at all. That was when he discovered utter dependence on God. At that moment, the Spirit of God filled him and renewed him with courage and with comfort. And then he sat down and he wrote Psalm 23, one of the most powerful Psalms that we know. Psalm 23, it begins with the Lord is my shepherd. And in the original Hebrew, that word is Yahweh. Actually, it was Y-H-W-H. -H, and the Jews considered the name of God so holy that it was not to be said. So they took the vowels out and they took out the ways that it could be pronounced properly, and they just had kind of like an abbreviation. Philip Keller, who wrote a book 
on a shepherd that looks at Psalm 23. Some of you have read it. He says this, it's significant to be at rest there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. Verse 2, when you read that, he makes me lie down. I don't know if you see that, but I see it. Every time I see that verse, I see the word makes. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've been made to lay down. Maybe you've been sick. The only thing you can do is lay down. <laughs> I remember I had hurt my back, and it was so even, it was so, it was so impossible for me to get out of my bed. To go from my bed to the bathroom was like crossing the border from Kazakhstan into China. It was so hard. It was so daunting. It was so painful because my back had been, had been, I blew out discs and I was in a lot of pain. And I remember just laying down for almost just, you know, just being out of commission for almost six months. And I remember the Lord made me lay down. Has the Lord ever done that to you? Makes you lay down? <laughs> Some of us really like to be active and busy, right? I, I like that. And my wife and I are the kind of people that, like, if we're not busy producing or seeing some fruitfulness, uh, we just kind of condemn ourselves. We're like, oh, man, you know, like, we didn't get anything done at the end of the day. But you know something? When we are made, when we are made to lay down, we're made to lay, be laid down not in sorrow or fear or danger, but we're made to lay down in green pastures. Green is a color that symbolizes mercy in the Bible. Mercy means that I'm not getting what I deserve. How many of you have ever not gotten what you deserve? And you know it. <laughs> how, about, how about in a court of law? Traffic ticket, right? It's amazing. You receive mercy, and that's so instructional, isn't it? How about when the police pulls you over and gives you a, I'm going to give you a warning. You're like, oh, mercy, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Nobody here? Okay. So <laughs> I, I confess, that's happened to me. <laughs> okay. Right, so, and that was just me two weeks ago, okay? And not because I was speeding. But he is our good shepherd. And for us to lay down and rest, there has to be some definite sense of freedom from fear and tension, aggregations and hunger. And just thinking this week, we talked a little bit about Wednesday night, um, the good shepherd, Jesus, wants to shepherd you and I out of our tension. You ever get tense? And I have. And when we are tense, we're not being shepherded in his peace. When we are tense, we are not breathing enough. And this is going to be important because I want to talk about breathing in a second. We're not breathing enough, and we are suffocating our brain from oxygen. When you're tense, when I'm tense, notice that you're not taking deep breaths, right? And some of you, when you're in that state, we go, you go into a panic attack because you can't breathe, and your body starts to panic, and your brain starts to lack o oxygen, and it goes into panic mode. And when we're tense, and when we're full of tension, and we're not peaceful, and we're anxious, then what happens is that people have to walk on eggshells around us, because they're afraid of upsetting us, or being in the line of fire of our moods, or our inner unhappiness, because we're in the flesh. <laughs> you ever been there before? Right? I have. And people, you know something, like when you're around these kinds of people, it's it's very hard because you don't want to upset them, right? And, they, and you know what happens is they don't know it. A lot of times when we're in this state of tension and people are afraid to upset us, we don't even know it. We're blind to it because it's a blind spot. And when that happens, we're living in a blind spot and people can be afraid to tell us. Because you know something? There's only one thing in you and I that can get offended. And whenever I feel offended, I just know that my flesh has been stepped on. 
my big toes. Sometimes our toes, our, our toes get, we like to say in our church that none of us have big toes around here so that no toes get stepped on. You know, I think that sometimes when we get offended, when I get offended, I realize I'm in the flesh because there's only one thing in you and, my, and I that can get offended, that can get upset, that can be, that can be hurt or wounded or, or slighted, and that is our flesh. It's our flesh. That part of us that we're not supposed to live in, that fallen part of us that has trends and it has agendas and it has uh, roads that lead us down to places that are just destructive. It's our flesh. When we are being shepherded, there is an air of joy and faith rest around us. And guess what? We're taking more time to breathe. All right. My wife and I have a nutritionist that we've gone to many times. And one of the things that she tells us to do is to sit down and take deep breaths. No, this is not meditation and this is not something new age. It's just because I think in our, in our hustle during the week, we don't sit down and breathe. We don't sit down and breathe enough. Philip Keller also says this in the, in the book that he wrote about Psalm 23, green pastures did not just happen by chance. And I was reading this and I can really, I can really identify with this as a pastor. Green pastures did not just happen by chance. Green pastures were the product of tremendous labor and time and skill and land use. I'm sure that Pastor Adam can relate to this because he's got sheep now on his, on his property. Green pastures were the result of clearing rough, rocky land. Did you know that a, that a shepherd had to do that? He had to, be a land, he had to be a landscaper of tearing out brush and roots and stumps, of deep plowing and careful soil preparation, of seeding and planting special grains and legumes, which is vegetables, I believe, of irrigating with water and husbanding with care the crops of forage that would feed the flocks. A lot of work. Christ has put a lot of work in preparation for our tomorrow. Do you know that you have a prepared tomorrow? Yes. We think about our 401k. We think about what's going to happen when I become elderly. Who's going to take care of me? Are, you know, are my kids going to take care of me? Or am I going to have money? Or, or is my 401k going to even exist because of the state of the economy? Can I tell you something? Christ, your shepherd, has prepared a tomorrow for you. Fear not. Amen? Can we say amen? <laughs> Fear not, little flock. I'm saying that to you today. I'm saying that to me and to my family. Fear not, because he has prepared a place for us. He's prepared a future for us. Amen? We strive. We freak out. We're just so anxious because what's going to happen with the economy? Guess what? My wife and I have lived in communist countries, and we know what it's like to not have anything and have a, mir a miraculous thing happen and people show up. I remember one Christmas morning, I woke up, I was a single missionary, I didn't know how to cook, and I just was broke, and you know, I, I don't know, I just woke up that morning and discovered I had no food, it was Christmas morning, right, and just leave it to a single guy to, to be in that state, to be in that state, we're like, oh, I don't have anything to eat, <laughs> and so like, I woke up, and I'm opening my refrigerator, and there's nothing there, you know, there's like maybe a little bit of ketchup, and maybe a pickle, Polish pickle in there or something. I thought, you know what, that's, I'm not going to eat today. So I just, I sat down. It was a one-room apartment. I sat on my couch that turned into a bed, and I prayed, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. You ever pray that prayer? It's in the Bible, and it's a prayer that sometimes we pray. And guess what happens? There was a knock on the door, and there was a young lady in the church that came, uh, and she said, she said, I woke up this morning and the Lord put it on my heart that Chris Moore doesn't have anything to eat this morning. <laughs> so she came with some groceries, two bags of groceries. And I was like, you know, that was God right there. Isn't it amazing? God has prepared your tomorrow. Amen? 
Anne's going to college. She's here visiting us. God has prepared a future for Anne. Amen. For Gabby. Amen. Right, Gabby? Gabby's got a great future. Gabby's got a red Corvette waiting for her in her future. (laughs) God's got a future for for Lizzie Gilbert. Amen. Hey, let's not worry. What are we worried about? What are we getting tense about? We can't breathe. You ever get tense and your heart starts to beat and your face gets flushed and people are like, are you okay? You're like, yes, I'm doing okay. (laughs) You know, just a little too much coffee. But you know what happens is that when we're tense, we're not breathing. We stop breathing. And we stop breathing because we don't realize that God has prepared my next hour. God has prepared my future. And we need to hear that every day because we're, for, we're forgetful creatures. We need to hear that every day. We need to hear that every day. He leads us beside still waters, quiet and restful. Quiet enough to hear a, wes- to hear a whisper. On my watch, I was telling somebody earlier, on my watch I have installed this new feature on the Apple Watch, which is um, it, it measures decibels. How many of you have that on your watch or seen that before? I think it's fascinating because on my watch I can tell, like at any time I can just look and I can just see what are, you know, what are the decibels. And anything over 80 decibels is actually injurious for your ears. And when this is written here besides still waters, it's very important because Still waters mean, um, <laughs> still waters mean that, that, that it's quiet and that they're not rough and they're not, they're not choppy. Um, we were with Franz on his boat on Lake Conroe and it was a bit choppy, remember that? And um, choppy waters can make you seasick. But you know, quiet waters here means that, that they're not, there's not, it's not choppy, and, and sheep will not be able to relax and drink if the waters are choppy. And so quiet here means in the Hebrew, restful. With this, with this decibel reader, sometimes I'll be like, you know, six o'clock in the morning sitting in my living room, drinking my coffee, reading my Bible, and I'll look down, and it'll be like 38 decibels, you know. Um, one time I talked with a worship leader, and he told me, that and he was you know really in the professional world of worship and and that was what he what he was paid to do and um and he told me that he told me that that worship in churches today generally are about 100 to 110 decibels now to give you a an idea of how loud that is um 110 or 100 decibels is really the sound of either a jackhammer uh a jet taking off, an ambulance, and this, that level of sound over 30 minutes is actually destructive for your ears. When something's at 100 decibels, you're not hearing anything else. You're not even hearing yourself talk, and so that is not quiet. You know, when we, to get an idea of what quiet is, is that when you're in your room and there's no sound except, you know, like your dishwasher or your air conditioning unit going on, that's about 40 decibels. Um, and when you're in a luxury vehicle, it's going to be about 60 decibels. Um, 30 decibels is the, sound, is the sound of rustling leaves. 10 decibels is the sound, is, is uh, I'm sorry, 20 decibels is a whisper. And 10 decibels is breathing. Breathing. This is quiet. I read an interesting article years ago that it was an article de- describing what parts of the world are absolutely quiet? Where can you go where you're not going to hear any artificial sound all day? And they were just, you know, they were, they were struggling to find these places. One of the places is in the Amazon, deep in the Amazon. 
uh, we were at Mike's um, ranch months ago, and it was so quiet, except for just the occasional airplane that you would hear or an animal in the woods, you know, a cry. And that was very quiet. Quiet places means that God leads us to a place where we can rest. And that's what it means to be shepherded by, the, by Jesus Christ. Remember that Satan, who is the God of this world, is not a person. Satan is not God. Satan was a created angel. And angels are not people. And they're not built like people. So angels have a whole different makeup in the way they are. Maybe one Sunday we can talk about angels and the whole spiritual world that is around us that, that we don't see but exists. Satan, being an angel, is not a person. And so he doesn't have emotions or he doesn't have the built, the building or the, the structure of what a person has. That means that angels can be very impersonal. Angels can be very, very matter of fact. They are, they are to, there to do the will of the Father. Uh, Lucifer, who, who, who fell from, from the throne of God because of the rebellion that he led in, against God, is an angel that has really no understanding of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And that's why, which is it's fascinating to know, is that Lucifer, Satan doesn't know everything right now. And so what happens is, is like he, he doesn't know what God's plan is. You and I know more about the plan of God than Satan does, believe it or not. Satan cannot read your mind. He can read your countenance. He can read your reactions. But he can't read your mind because our mind is the privacy that we have of communion with the Father. And Satan cannot enter into a believer, by the way, because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So don't ever think that you're, that you're demon-possessed or that somebody else is demon-possessed because they are a Christian. They, they, it's impossible for a demon to come into a Christian. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The point I want to make here is, is that the devil is very impersonal. And everything that is demonic is very impersonal. And what is happening today, you know, sheep need that personal relationship with their shepherd. They are looking for the shepherd. And as a matter of fact, when the, sh- when the shepherd comes into the flock, sheep that are fighting with each other or that are doing foolish things actually kind of snap and they're looking at the shepherd. And there's that, there's this attention. And so Satan has no level, there's, whatever Satan does and wh- whatever he says and does is not personal. It is not human. That's why you can see such inhumane things happening in the world today when people are just so motivated by the devil. Anything, and actually, as a matter of fact, in Christianity, things could be, there could be actually, you know, the Bible talks about um, ministers of righteousness that have transformed themselves, like, into, you know, these ministers, and they're actually not from God, they're actually from the devil, and what could very happen is that what they produce could be very, very impersonal, very cold, and without the, the life of the body of Christ, and it's not restful, and it's not quiet. Whispers. Whispers can only be heard in a quiet place, and God brings us into quiet places. You know, when people are intimate with each other, intimate friends, people that are very close. I was in a, I was in a coffee shop this past week. Nobody was there except for these two Asian ladies, and they were just older women. They were sitting so close to each other, and they were talking like in whispers, you know, and they were talking to each other, and they were speaking, I think, Chinese. When we're intimate with people, then we're not yelling. Because when you're yelling, your decibels are going over about 100 to 110, and nobody can hear you. You can't even hear yourself. You can't even hear what you're thinking. But when there's intimacy between people, when there's intimacy in friendship, when there's intimacy in marriage, you could whisper, and you can hear your, you can hear your spouse or your friend very clearly. 
Because in intimacy, we don't need to yell. Because there's so much sensitivity in intimacy, right? We're so tuned into what the other person is saying. And yet that lacks today because we're in a society that's just driven by noise and activity. Because people are hungry and they're not being shepherded. And when sheep are not being shepherded, they're restless, they cannot lay down, they cannot eat, and they cannot drink water, and they're not breathing properly, and they could actually die. Verse 3, restores my soul. I, wanna, I just want to focus on this for the last 10 minutes of our message here. He restores, he restoreth my soul. This is so loaded. Um, I love this. It spoke so deeply to me um, these last couple of days. He restores my soul. In other translations, it says he restores my life. But actually here in the Hebrew, soul here is nefesh, which is actually life or breath. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God created Adam, he blew into him the breath of life. And this breath of life is nefesh. And this is actually translated sometimes in the Old Testament as breathing, as breathing. When he says that he restores our soul, when Yahweh, God, has restored our soul and filled the lungs of Adam with this breath, when it says here in Psalm 23, he restores our soul, it's in the imperfect tense. Now, I failed grammar, I failed English, but I knew this because like, I, I actually had a very good Bible college teacher who taught me Greek, how to read Greek and understand some grammar, but restores, he restores my soul is in the imperfect tense, which means this, the imperfect aspect can speak of habitual actions. Now think about this. He restores my soul, he restores my life, he restores my breath, right? Think of this. The imperfect aspect can speak of habitual actions, actions in progress, or even completed actions that have an unfolding, ongoing result. The picture here, and focus with me on this, okay? The picture here is a repetitive action of God returning to us our breath that we breathe out that in turn keeps us alive and refreshed. In essence, it means that God, Yahweh, is our very, very breath. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Do you ever think of it that way? That we are breathing today, that we have breath in our lungs because of the grace and the plan of God? Think about Paul. Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, he was breathing out um, threatenings and slaughters. He was a tense guy. This is before he got saved, right? He's breathing out, it says. He was breathing out um, hatred, and he's breathing out threatenings, okay? A woman by the name of Sandra Thurman Caporell, she's actually from Houston, years ago wrote this, and I want to read it up to you. It's going to speak to you. But listen to this, what she wrote. There was a moment when Moses had the nerve to ask God what his name was. God was gracious enough to answer, and the name he gave is recorded in the original Hebrew as Yahweh. Scholars and rabbis have noted, and by the way, I took some time yesterday to find out who these scholars and rabbis were, and I found it, but scholars and rabbis have noted that the letters YHWH represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. When pronounced without intervening vowels, it actually sounds like breathing. So when you say Yahweh, it sounds like it's almost a sound of breath. Yah, which is inhale, and Way is exhale. Try that. Do that. Breathe in. Yeah. Yeah, right? And then way. Breathe out, right? And so that's deep breathing. We just had deep breathing right now, right? Who thought, whoever thought coming to church you can do yoga? <laughs> We're not doing yoga here. <laughs> Yahweh here means like some of these, some of these, some of these ancient rabbis and teachers, 
actually would, would relate this to breathing in Yahweh and breathing out Yahweh. And she writes this, and think of that. If that's the case, think of this. A baby's first cry, his first breath speaks the name of God. A deep sigh calls his name, or a groan or a gasp that is too heavy for mere words. Even an atheist would speak his name unaware that the very breath is giving con- constant acknowledgement to the existence of God. Likewise, a person leaves this earth with their last breath when God's name is no longer filling their lungs. So when I can't utter anything else, my cry is calling out his name. Being alive means I speak his name constantly, Yahweh. So is it hard, is it, is it heard the loudest when I'm the quietest? In sadness, we breathe heavy sighs. In our joy, our lungs feel almost like they will burst. In fear, we hold our breath and have to be told to breathe slowly help calm us down. When we're about to do something hard, we take a deep breath to find our courage. When I think about it, breathing is giving him praise, even the hardest moments. So is this beautiful? This is so beautiful and fills me with emotions every time I grasp the thought, she writes. God chose to give himself a name that we can't help but speak every moment we are alive. All of us, always, everywhere, walking, sleeping, breathing with the name of God on our lips. And isn't that biblical? Psalm 115, it says this. It says, I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Psalm 34, verse 1. Psalm 150, verse 6 6 says this, let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. And the way Yahweh is here put is it's actually put Yah, which we don't usually talk about Hebrew here, but it's actually an inhale. When we praise, we're exhaling worship. We're praising, exhaling. When we breathe in, we're we're breathing in his grace, his provision. And the very fact that you and I can breathe today means that he's God and that he's not given us up. He's not given up hope on us today. When we're being, and I want to just end with this, when we're being shepherded, our very sustenance is the air that we breathe. When, when, the, when, when the good shepherd is shepherding my thought life, shepherding my desires, shepherding my decisions, how many decisions do we make that we have not consulted the Lord in? How many times we have made with our schedule, we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And it's like, Lord, lead my schedule, order my steps. We are being shepherded every, it, 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 when we are being shepherded, our very sustenance is the air we breathe. This is why David wrote, I'm gonna bless Yahweh, his, his name at all times. It is only when we are brought to a place of utter dependence on God, when we, all we can do is lie down in green pastures, when all we can do is just breathe God in and breathe God out, that's when we see the miracles happen and we see the faithfulness of God in our life. A simple message this morning, not very long, but I wanted you just to get this, that when we trust in the Lord, when we let him shepherd us, we can take deep breaths, we can breathe in the grace of God, we can breathe out praise instead of threatenings in Acts 9-1, instead of slaughters, instead of slander, we can breathe out the name of Yahweh. And thank the Lord that he is faithful. He walks with us. And you know something? He's not only prepared a tomorrow for us. He's not only prepared your future, but in John chapter 14, he's preparing a place for you in heaven. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm preparing places for you to to live in eternity. These are these mansions that he's preparing for us. That's why we never have to fear. That's why we never have to live in fear. That's why we never need to succumb to tension. And by the way, if you struggle with tension or when you struggle with anxiety, have someone 
in your life that you can talk to, someone in the, that's in the body of Christ, and they can walk you through it. Let him shepherd you. And when he shepherds us, we have peace that passes understanding, and we can actually walk with deep breaths and trust the Lord at all times. Amen? Mm-hmm.